Today's podcast is sponsored by the new Zondervan Comfort Print NASB 95 Bible. Keep listening to learn about the new exegetical preaching blog. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I am Amy Bird. I'm here uh, socially distancing podcast edition again with my two co-hosts, Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and Carl Truman, professor of, is it biblical studies, Carl? Biblical and religious studies. At Grove City College in Pennsylvania. And uh, as we're social distancing and our new normal on Sunday morning is for me as a layperson to gather downstairs in our basement where our smart TV is and watch a live streaming service from my church through YouTube. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we have all these new normals. I think we've had five Sundays now of this uh, during this time of the recording. And um, we're sitting here talking about, you know, one starting a conversation about returning to church, which is something I never thought <laughs> that I would say. We are in strange times for sure with this coronavirus, but we have a lot of questions about that. Um, when are we going to be able to return to church? How are we going to do that when we do? And, and what might we discover as we get to commune together again? So maybe I'll first throw out there, Todd's in Virginia, Carl's in Pennsylvania, I'm in Maryland. So we have different guidelines with our states. Um, so we might be starting back up, returning to church at different times. And then there's also the question of the governor's, um, it's not a law, what is it called? It's an order, yeah. Like a, an authoritarian order. Um, of of when we are allowed to start like phase one or phase two and um, to get back into society and how closely do we obey that as Christians Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it comes to returning to church? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are huge questions. I mean, we're, we're talking a lot, you know, as, as a staff and as a session at our church about, you know, what is, what is it going to look like to be back to normal? And of course, even as you ask that question, how do we get back to normal? Um, you also, I think it's incumbent upon us to ask, you know, are, are, there, are there things that, that should change? Are there things about our previous normal that should change? I'm convinced there are things about our previous normal that, that need to go back, but are there things, yeah. you know, that, that can kind of help us to, to um, uh, navigate a, a possible course correction? Um, yeah, we should uh, ban hugging. No more. Hugging is done. <laughs> Some of us have been saying That's this for years. Terrible. Hugging is done. Uh, it's done. But That's the right. new normal is no hugging. You just wait till those huggers get a hold of you after social distancing. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, the next time I see I'm Truman. living the dream, man. I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all going to come. The, the, next, the next time I see Truman, I'm going to act like a uh, an Italian grandmother. I'm going to be 
kissing him and all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> we will be back to normal then in that case. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, one of the things we've been, uh, you know, thinking through is, okay, so, so the, the governor of Virginia, they're, they're probably going to uh, kind of phase us back in. I think that's what all the states are thinking about. How do we phase back in? And so mm-hmm. they're not immediately going to say, um, you know, if your church, you know, if you're a church of 200, start you know, gathering back together full, you know, it's probably going to go back to the, okay, gatherings of 10, gatherings of 50, gatherings of 250, you know, a gradual thing like that. And so for a church like ours, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is, okay, so uh, how do we do several uh, services on Sunday, you know, maybe four or five services you know, on, on, on Sunday, um, or, or do we do one or two services on Saturday and, and three or four services on Sunday, uh, which would be exhausting, but, but, you know, we're having to talk about Mm-hmm. Some of those. And when do you think things. that will be? Like that's that's a really good when question. When do you think you'll be able to start? Yeah. So so different states are 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 getting different kinds of signals. I, I know right now in Virginia we're hearing things like, well, maybe after there has been a measurable downturn for two consecutive weeks Which in the number the of new cases. Has. Yeah. Now, yeah. now that could be a long way could away. Be a really long way away. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, which which then you know you begin to think. Um, uh, uh, okay, so, so what, what powers are invested in the, the governor of each state to, to, to dictate these things? And this raises a, an interesting kind of ethical dilemma for Christians in churches as we navigate some of this. Because, and, and, and I, want, I want you to help me think through this, because um, as we think about, for instance, Romans chapter 13, you know, we're, we're to honor um, uh, the civil authorities, they are ministers of God, you know, to, to use that language as, as uh, you know, in, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, uh, the, uh, the, the 23rd chapter is, is all on the civil magistrate, um, where it makes very clear that God is the supreme leader who has established uh, the civil authorities to bring about justice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and so long as the civil authorities are not requiring us to disobey God, um, then, then we're to obey the civil authorities. Now, here's my challenge. Here, here's here's the, the, the interesting, I think, tension with Americans is that we're not, you know, this is very easy for Carl because Carl is used to living under the heavy hand of, of monarchical tyranny <laughs> um, gr- growing up in, in, uh, in England. But in America, you know, in, in God's country, we are a, a nation of laws governed by a document. So actually, our highest civil authority is a piece of paper, um, the, the, the Constitution, as, as a guarantor of, of, of rights, and, and that the elected civil magistrates are actually servants of that document and servants of the people. And I just um, say that in the land of the free, where I am yes. You can't buy a bottle of scotch in a supermarket, Pennsylvania. Paper <laughs> <laughs> constitution. Well, I can't well, buy a bottle of scotch. And up until recently, I couldn't buy beer in less than numbers of 24 <laughs> in a case. Uh, it's like three years supply for me. What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, first of all, I do want to say this. Apologies to our Baptist listeners. Now, as we move on, but, but, but Carl, but see, that's the whole thing with, with you monarchicalists. Um, as, as long as the monarchy can keep the citizenry drunk, they don't mind if you don't have any rights. That's true. that's true. And of course, I'd much rather have Donald Trump as the figurehead for my country than Queen Elizabeth II. 
Touche. I never, I never oh. actually thought Charles would look good as a head of, head of, head of state, but he's not coming through these days. Touche. Touche. Sorry, um, carry on with your very important yeah. point. Well, yes. It's no. albeit racist, but important yeah, yeah. point. Uh, so, so, but, I, and, I, and I throw this out as an honest question because I, I actually don't know how I feel about this at this point. But does there come a point where, where if this persists, no more gatherings for, for 10 people, if this persists another, let's say, six months, or it ends in about four or five months, but then is reinstituted eight months later or whatever, is it disobedient? Is it a violation of Romans 13? And I, and I ask this with all sincerity. Is it a violation for churches to say, nope, we're going to continue to gather? Now, now, we can talk in a minute about whether or not that's a violation of loving our neighbor. We'll talk about that in a second. But just strictly speaking, given the constitutional setup of the American system, is that a violation, do you think, just I'm asking your opinion, of Romans 13 and honoring the civil magistrate? If the governor says, no, churches, you, you can't meet. Because that's technically, anyway, I'll just throw it out there. I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting point. How long is too long? Yeah, yeah. Because clearly, the situation we're in now is, it, it it would not be acceptable as a permanent solution. Right. It's not. That's not going to be acceptable. The, the next right. question is, how long is too long? And mm -hmm. to extend that's a you know, how long is a piece of string? There may not even mm -hmm. be one size fits all. Right. Relative to that, I suspect. Yeah, you know, thinking in in sort of you know, getting in touch with my inner Marxist at this point, <laughs> I, think, I, I think money will fix this at some point because the same things are stopping churches meeting are stopping sporting events yes. happening. Yes. Big money people are going to start taking big hits at some point, yeah. and then I think you will see change. So it's an interesting theoretical question. Mm -hmm. Practically, I don't think it's going to be a problem because there's too much money invested in large crowds gathering for us to see another 12 or 18 months about this. Right, uh, right. It's an interesting theoretical question, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we could make it more complicated by saying, well, okay, is it necessary that, you know, Todd, your mega church, what is it, 80,000 people, <laughs> you know, the Joel Osteen of Harrisonburg, uh -huh. you, know, you prosperity gospel types, could the government say, well, we can't have meetings of 1,000, but you can meet in groups of 50, which is sort of what it was before we went into the, the hard lockdown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At that situation, I think, then churches could say, well, you know, we need to conform with the limits, but we mm -hmm. can still meet. We just have to break into, into smaller groups. So right. I think it's a complicated question, very difficult to answer in the abstract. Yeah, And, and let me just say this, and, and we were talking about this before we went on air, is that if the governor of Virginia had not said, listen, um, no more gatherings of 10 or above, I'm confident that the session of the church I serve, we would have still decided to do what we're doing now because of other things that are enjoined upon Christians, like loving our neighbor. I mean, there were so many things we didn't know yet. And so it was, I believe, the right and wise thing and the neighbor love thing and the obeying the sixth commandment thing to, to do what churches are doing now. Time will tell if we can continue to do that with a, with a clear conscience. And it is all about time and there is something subjective there. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, Amy. As we think about moving forward, then getting beyond this question of our responsibility to the civil to the civil magistrates, mm -hmm. um, thinking about fellowship. Let's say now we we start to incrementally move back to something that looks a little bit more normal. How do we think about um, because it's not like we're going to go from one Sunday doing what we're doing now 
mm-hmm. to next Sunday doing just exactly what we were doing before. It's not going to happen yeah. like that. So how do we think about, for instance, fellowship and I know. I'm, serving like right, each other? Right now, it's so much of fellowship is disembodied. Um, yeah. So I co-teach the high school Sunday school class mm-hmm. that was supposed to be spring semester. And we've decided to go ahead and do Zoom for anybody who's interested just to get these kids connected mm-hmm. um, and uh, get prayer requests and do a lesson. Yeah. And the first one we did, you know, it'd been several weeks of no Sunday school. And um, you know, just hearing the kids talk about, we were, we were discussing like, what it's going to be like when we do go back to church. Mm-hmm. You know, right now in the state of Maryland, you have to wear a mask when you yeah. go to the store or anything like that. So um, are we going to have to wear masks in church? Right. And how do you sing with a mask mm-hmm. on? And how do you mm-hmm. smile? Well, <laughs> yeah, just- right. I was going to say the smiling thing. One of the things about masks is it, it's taught us how important faces are. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so much of our communication is nonverbal and it, it takes really place is. below the level of the eyes. I hate it. I'm at the grocery store yeah. and you know, I realize how much I communicate through smiling and just facial gestures. Mm-hmm. And um, I've realized how much I communicate by refusing to smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that <laughs> back He's to growing a beard, by the way. No, just I'm just letting the goatee run amok. Okay, you're starting to look like some kind of patriarchal. Oh, that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> with all the hair salons closed, everybody's going to look terrible coming back. Oh yeah. No, yeah. those of us who planned ahead, our wives just clipper our heads now. This, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I think there's questions about the mask thing. Mm-hmm. Are we going to? You know, I was talking to one of Sing. one of my friends at church. Are we going to have like, you know, maybe ten families be able to come and social distance mm-hmm. as a family, and then everyone else have to still watch live stream and then right. rotate, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that affects. Or you know, some churches are talking about having the small groups, you know, lead wor- house worship for a while, which. You know, there's something intimate and, and beautiful about that, but then there's also yeah. this danger of becoming a church unto yourself, you know? Right. Um, the logistical problems for, for a lot of churches are going to be a bit of a nightmare. And so, like, even, you know, like for us, a church of between 900 and 1,000, you have not only the corporate worship service, but then you have, well, how many babies do we have? Right. And, and how many elderly do we have? Exactly. And how many, so, so does that, rep, you know, does that mean we'll have to gradually go into, you know, doing, you know, we'll do three services on Saturday and three or four services on Sunday. Do you, you know, open the nursery? Right, right. Do exactly. You do Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And then another question added to that is what are you going to discover? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there's going to be like a, a rise in the need for shepherding and pastoral care. Um, yeah. just because of the stress that these families have mm-hmm. been under, mm-hmm. um, you know, some sins are going to yep. come to the surface. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the rise in social pathologies that we've already been seeing, like, like yeah. domestic abuse, pornography, et cetera. Yeah. Well, Katrina and I have friends, a, a young couple with kids and he's just lost his job. And, uh, he said to me last week, I just want to be able to sit down with my pastor. And this is from a different church from mm-hmm. well, actually in Pennsylvania at all, but I just want to be able to sit down with my pastor and, and talk through the situation with mm-hmm. him. And I can't do that. Right. I, you know, I'm a, I don't want to sound like a COVID denier here. Please don't read what I'm going to say as COVID denial. But I do think that unless we go back to something that was like the old normal, mm-hmm. society is unsustainable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that may mean that we have to, you know, accept the fact that 
there's going to be a lot more carnage from this thing. I mean, one of the points being made about the Swedish experiment is nobody in Sweden is actually claiming that they're, they're lowering or increasing the number of deaths. Mm-hmm. They're just not spreading them out over the long period that the rest right. of us are spreading them out. And right. I'm very pessimistic unless we find a vaccine on the front of we're really going to save anybody's life. I think at some point, probably the balance is going to be tipped in front of this is just going to be horrible. We've got to get on with life at this point right, uh, right. because the cost on the other side, we're already seeing this in the UK, the uh, figures coming out of people now dying from cancer is starting right. to accelerate upwards. Mm-hmm. Because they're not getting the treatments yeah, that they uh, need because the hospitals are shut yeah. down. Um, and we've had this situation in Western Pennsylvania and there's hardly anybody in hospital here with COVID, but they right. basically shut down all other operations right. because they needed, as it turned out in our county, I think 19 extra beds in the last mm-hmm. six weeks, 19 patients hospitalized, yeah. something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the privileging of this killer over other killers mm-hmm. probably has to come to an end at some mm-hmm. point. As, yep. as grim as it is to say that, I'm well, just not sure that practically we can continue yeah. with what we've got going on. Yeah, and, and, and part, part of the difficulty in discussing this is that as soon as you bring that up, you're accused of not caring about lives or putting the economy above lives. But that's such a false dilemma because as any poor person can tell you, you cannot drive this really clear separation between life and the economy. Privileged people can do that oftentimes, but poor people cannot. And one of the things we're already seeing, they're already feeling in Africa and in poor parts of Latin America, the toll that a shutting down of first world economies is having. Now, this is a whole different um, take, but but as we we talk about this as Christians and think about as, as we transition back to normal, we need to be very careful as we think about this ethically, to say, well, not until we're sure this is eradicated. Because with every day that first world economies are shut down, third world people are suffering. And I mean, it is life and death for them. So it's, it's a calculus that we do every day. Um, heck, we do this calculus in flu season. People are going to die at flu season. They will. And, and, and COVID is probably worse than the average flu. But we still do the same calculus, which is we can't shut down everything in flu season, even though we know some people are going to die. Well, I, do, I think one of the big things that we have to wrap our heads around is that we're not going back to normal anytime soon. I mean, there, we're not going to eradicate COVID, as you're saying, anytime mm-hmm. soon, especially until we have a, a real good vaccine. It's going to be around. And, you know, we haven't had, right. been able to develop vaccines for things like SARS before. So, yeah. You know, there's no promise that we're going to get a good vaccine here. And even when you look at flu shots, you know, you got to hit the different strains because it's, you know, mutates so many different Correct. ways. So there isn't a normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a life with, with COVID-19 now. And, right. um, you know, as we're trying to work on this whole curve. And so it's a huge decision of when to return. And phasing mm-hmm. does sound wise. Um, yeah. and, and what are the best ways we're going to love our neighbor? And, and even in the states themselves, like when you have the governor saying, okay, the whole state can start phase one. Well, some parts of the states are really affected by COVID. Yeah, right. And some parts of the states aren't, you know, the more aren't. rural areas. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you got to look at, I think you got to look at the different counties. And then not only that, every family is going to be affected by COVID-19, whether it's economically or whether it's been sickness directly related and death directly related to the virus. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I know our nursing homes here are in terrible shape. Yes. Tons, yeah. You know, like I think over half of the Maryland <laughs> deaths come from nursing homes. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible grief. People aren't able to mourn at a real funeral with, with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, the psychological impact that it's had on everyone. And then those who haven't been able to get the treatments for cancers because they're non-essential surgeries mm-hmm. all of a sudden now. And so other illnesses that are, they're just, we're not returning to normal. This is just a devastating virus that has right. affected us in so many ways. And now we have some serious questions about the, mm-hmm. the best way to love our neighbors. And within that, what liberties we're willing to sacrifice and mm-hmm. rights we're willing to sacrifice in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And then discernment and wisdom on right. where, uh, you know, we, well, we need to be able to eventually get back to our jobs and we need mm-hmm. to eventually get back to church and worship and, and fellowship. And, you know, you lower your stress level rises yeah. and your, your immunity, your immune system decreases. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah we, things. Right. We have to hold several things together in tension. One is the immediate concern of the present crisis and wanting to protect the lives of our neighbors and to, to hopefully do common sense things that will, that will guard them from infection. Christians, we have an obligation to care about that. We also have an obligation to care about the lives of those that are being affected, even to the point of life and death, from the economic shutdown because that's happening and so we, we want to be able to speak into and, and to consider both of those um realities and and then i would just say as also to, to christians uh, be thinking about the kinds of anxieties and, and not just anxieties but the kinds of sins we mentioned this earlier the kinds of sins that are coming into to, to greater unfortunate bloom during this yeah. time and 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 the spiritual dimension of that that we're going to have to minister to each other through so mm-hmm. so we have brothers and sisters right now and we just know it we have brothers and sisters right now from from kids on up to older adults who are for instance accessing porn in ways that are far more common now it, it is happening um, we've got uh, domestic abuse on the rise. We've got tensions with, within marriages that are on the rise now. We've got children. We've got teenagers who are struggling with suicidal thoughts right now that perhaps weren't two months ago. And, they have and, the outlet of their social lives. Exactly. And so this is now at our doorstep. We're in the middle of it, and it's not going to go away just as soon as groups of 50 are allowed to start gathering again. And, and so churches need to be thinking strategically about how to speak into those anxieties and those sins and those pathologies. And, and then churches' resources are going to be taxed as people lose their jobs. Now, there's some stopgap measures that the government is providing right now, but a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, there are going to be some people in dire financial straits. And the church is going to have to figure out how do we do some Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following stuff to help mitigate this crisis in people's lives. And so churches, you've got to start thinking about your budgets in some fresh ways, probably, um, to respond to this um, and in some challenging ways. And those who are able to give, you might have to cinch the belt up a little bit more and give a little bit more because, like I said, months from now, some more pressing financial needs are going to become very apparent in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And so that's going to have to be worked out and dealt with. One thing that I think I've learned, well, two things I've learned actually from, from this is one, staring at a screen, mm. there's no interaction. Mm-hmm. 
it's a it's hard work and b it's not the same as being in church mm-hmm. not seeing the pastor's face and him not seeing your face actually makes a difference it's it's yeah. hard to put your finger on that but it, it's I don't know what would they say. It's a material rather than an intentional relation or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's something going on there that isn't fully satisfying. And that in turn has given me a lot greater sympathy for those who can't get to church on a Sunday. Yes. And I realize, man, that you know, when you reach that age where you're either caring for a loved one, as we have in our own congregation, a gentleman who is not there on Sundays always because he's having to care for his godly wife, who's, who's more or less housebound now, uh, when you're not there in church on a Sunday, you you do miss something, and it's made me want to think much more about how we we help those who are on their own and isolated from church because their situation. You know, let's just say we get a miracle cure for COVID next week. Right. Yeah, we're not going to have it, but let's say we did. You know, we all inject ourselves with bleach or you know, <laughs> shine a torch in our mouth and kill off the bugs, or you know drink fish tank cleaner or whatever it is yeah and wow the disease goes away still people can't get to church every week who struggle and uh, i think you know when it comes to loving neighbor we need to think about that i've become more acutely aware of that as an issue than i ever was before yeah excellent excellent point well uh churches sessions pastors uh, you, you have your work cut out for you right now in ways that I think are more challenging than they were six weeks ago when we when this shutdown first began. I think we're just now starting to really get a, a better grasp on how the return to normal is going to be a lot more taxing and a lot more difficult to navigate than it was before. But fortunately, we are people under the rulership of King Jesus, who is sovereign, who is gracious. God is Romans chapter 8, he is plotting our good through this. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine, and this has been no surprise to him. I think if anything else, though we cannot trace all the particularities of God's providence, we can certainly be sure that he is doing good uh, for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose, and it is in that that we take comfort. We're so glad you joined us for this. This is an ongoing discussion and an ongoing matter of, of prayer. Uh, for God's people, and we hope that you're praying for your pastor and for your sessions and and for all of those who are making uh, uh, challenging decisions. We hope you're praying for your brothers and sisters who are particularly challenged and taxed during this time. Um, When you get a chance, run over to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and uh, check out the resources we have available there. We'll also be, uh, uh, you can enter for a giveaway for a, a wonderful book by David Van Drunen called Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Uh, We think you'll find it very uh, helpful. Uh, Dr. Van Drunen has been a a guest uh, on this program in the past, and uh, we would recommend that book. So Living in God's Two Kingdoms, published by Crossway, is going to be made available um, on our website uh, if you'd like to register to win a copy there. And if you're able uh, to make a contribution to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to provide you with content, uh, that would certainly be appreciated as well. Thank you for joining us, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. You give me fever When you kiss me fever When you hold me tight Fever In the morning A fever all through the night Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. 
And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Hang on a second, I need to work through that. We are... We, can you repeat? We are beholders... Not beholders, yeah. ...of the beholders, capital B, beholding of us. Yeah, I'm still confused, but I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> that interview is next time. Join us then. You know what? Our giving is still higher, even as as recently as this past Sunday. Our giving is higher than it was the eight weeks before we had to Praise stop. Praise God! I, I'm I'm telling you, because your expenses are down. Too. I know they're down a little bit. Uh, goodness! Imagine the money wow. you're saving on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no. Have you read the new exegetical preaching blog online now at exegeticalpreaching.com? Ideal for pastors, church leaders, anyone interested in biblical exegesis. Zondervan Bibles, in collaboration with Dr. Jonathan Pennington of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and his students, provides the content updated twice each month. Find examples of how to exegete a passage for a sermon or for your personal use. To sign up for the blog, visit exegeticalpreaching.com. Sponsored by the new Zondervan Comfort Print NASB 95 Bible. Discover the difference.